everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. And today we have a great summary episode. Trevor, I'm really excited about this. As you know, I am a fan of hating on data. <laughs> yes, you look going into this episode. I was like, Chris should really be the one talking and I should just shut up because this is this is his thing. Hey there, listeners. We're pleased to announce the newest pathway from Fast Talk Laboratories. Our new cycling base training pathway is now available, and it's perfectly timed to help you lay the foundation for an awesome 2022 season. In our new cycling base training pathway, Joe Friel, Dr. Steven Seiler, Trevor Connor, and Dr. Andy Pruitt show why good base training isn't just about riding endless miles. They share how to plan and structure your base season, how to monitor your efforts, and how to track your fitness gains so you start your next training phase with a strong aerobic engine. Complete our new cycling base training pathway, and you'll know the path forward in your own base training. Nearly half of this pathway is available at our free listener member level. Learn more at fasttalklabs.com slash pathways. We, we play our uh, characters a little bit on the show. I, I certainly don't uh, – I'm not religious in any way about collecting data. And this episode is all about perceived exertion, feeling, using those um, sensations and understanding of what your body is going through on a daily basis in a given workout to inform your training. Uh, that's basically what I've been doing f- forever. But – as the title implies, you and Ryan and a lot of other coaches also understand perceived exertion, the RPE scale, or some sense of feeling as a extremely important, if not the most important metric. So that is the question we're going to get into here. And I'm going to make an assertion a little later in the show about this, but I'll give you a preview right now, which is I am the data geek. I am that guy that has 10 screens on his Garmin with 10 bits of data each. Love to look at the data, love to get home from my ride and analyze everything. I'm still going to say if you lose that sense of feel, you can't train right, you can't race right. The data is helpful, but the, I, I, and we're going to make this case through this episode, this is still your most important metric. Mm. I, I like you hear, to hear you say that. I know we're going to get there. It makes me think of the fact that maybe some of this learning to ride by feel is lost because people are growing up with so much data around them. And this is from a previous generation. You, you know, you kind of learned it, but then data came along and tools came along and you had the basis to ride by feeling. And, and then you could apply some of these other metrics um, to that scenario and that's being lost, and we're going to get into that. I'm, I'm jumping ahead already. I'm, yep. I'm too excited. Yeah, I'm actually glad you brought that up because this is a summary episode, so we are going to bring in snippets from past episodes, from past guests. You were kind of referencing episode 163 where we had Jeff Winkler talk about one of the things we've lost from the 80s is that be able to ride on feel. So let's hear from him. Here's Jeff. I don't think you can you can honestly take the position that the the advances that have occurred over the last 20 years would have no impact. You certainly could emulate 
you could progress, you can overload in, in, in a, without the technology and the tools that we have today. It would seem simplistic by comparison, though, and, and uh, maybe as a form of an example, is that now you can rely on a power meter to be very specific in terms of pacing intervals, um, and, and that's linked to the underlying physiological systems and, and all the purpose that's in science that's behind it, that you couldn't possibly do it in, in the 80s because there was no power meter. I mean, you did have heart rate, so you, you could use that tool in certain circumstances. But what we did in, in reality was that we achieved a similar thing because of we believed at the time in this basically the power duration curve without the terms because you knew, okay, well, there's a maximal effort for one minute and there's a maximal effort for two minutes and they aren't the same from a power perspective, but from a subjective perspective, they are the same. They're, they're maximal. And so in a way you achieve, achieved something similar. Um, you just couldn't do the nuance that you can do today, which is say, well, I, I, what if you want to do a sub-maximal effort? But then, then it was blunt, right? You, the, your tools were your internal gauge, which of course is a whole nother discussion is the, when you don't have the tools to give you the feedback, you were forced to develop your internal gauge, your, your RPE, your subjective perception of the effort. And I, I do believe people had a much better tuned, you know, this is making a statement that's very broad and there are exceptions, but people had to tune in to, to the internal experience more than they have to now. Well, as we like to do often, if not always, we want to set the stage here. Um, RPE, the scale, the, the standardized uh, scale has been around for quite a long time. There's two different versions, at least. Trevor, do you want to give us a bit of an overview of what those standard measures are, the Borg scale? Right. So I'll give a quick bit of history, but I'm going to start by saying, if you're really interested in the science of, of rate of perceived exertion, the, 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 this is an actual metric. Uh, we have a great video on our website that was done by Dr. Chung, and he goes into RPE goes into SRP, which is session RP. So our, when you're just talking about RP, you're saying how hard is it at that moment? Mm -hmm. Session RP is a whole assessment of the whole session. And he gives some really good science of how well this correlates with training load, how well this correlates with heart rate, with power. Really interesting video. So I'd suggest checking that out if you really want to dive into that science. I'm just going to give a little bit. So really the, 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 godfather of RPE is Professor Gunnar Borg, and he did this in the early 60s. He came up with what is called the Borg scale. Um, and no, for any of you Trek geeks out there, it's not what you're thinking. <laughs> I don't know what you're referring to, but my question sure is, Chris. wouldn't it be cool if you had a scale named after yourself? That'd be pretty cool. Do you think he gave it the name, or do you think like his colleagues gave him gave the name to the scale after maybe he passed? The, the, well, I mean... <laughs> I think it was used while he was around. I'm not sure if he named it or somebody else named yeah. it. So okay. what, would the, what would the Connor scale be? Like how how badly how, dressed you are on how the bike? How badly or? dressed or how dirty your bike is, yes. There we go. 
Connor scale of 10. There's more dirt than bike. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so the original Borg scale actually went from six to 20. And here I'm going to ruin it for everybody. Whenever I'm in the lab and they're testing me and they pull out the Borg scale, I can't give them an honest answer anymore because I know the, the origins of this. Mm. But if you basically take a 20-something typical athlete, their resting heart rate is going to be around 60 beats per minute. Their max heart rate is going to be about 20. Mm -hmm. He really felt the scale should somewhat correlate with heart rate. So basically, if your heart rate's at 60, you should be a 6 on the Borg scale. If your heart rate's 120, you should be about 12 on the Borg scale. Like I said, unfortunately now, I can't use this because as soon as somebody asks me, what am I at? I look at my heart rate. Oh, I'm at 140. <laughs> I'm 14. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so try not to do that. Sorry to ruin it for all of you. But he did actually come up with multiple scales. And it's really important to note, they sound very simple, but I actually just read a, re a review last night that dived into the eccentricities of these scales. And, and to this point, Borg wrote a whole book on it of not only is it just a number scale, but you'll see they have wording beside the numbers. Mm -hmm. And there's huge debates over what is exactly the right wording. So this particular review took three of the words that, that Borg used. So it was, it was fatigue, discomfort, and heavy. Hmm. And did a whole assessment of whether those are the correct wording to use. So there's now probably 40, 50 variations on these RPE scales and often they're using the same numbering. It's just what wording in particular do you use to describe what the top is, what the middle is, what the, the bottom part is to get the right response out of the athletes. And that's where I'm not going to dive too deep into this. Then you got to consider how the words are like in Swedish, if you're doing it. Yes. <laughs> like, do they have the equivalent words of that? And which is the appropriate word in, in the different languages? Right. Anyways, tangent. Sorry. So the only other one I'll bring up is there's also a what's called the, the Borg CR10 scale, which is a 1 to 10. And this one's interesting because in the original Borg 1 to uh, CR10, there's actually a dot below 10 because 10 is defined by Borg as extremely strong. So notice then there again, the wording is very different. If you're trying to get more at fatigue or pain, you would have like extremely difficult mm -hmm. or extremely painful. You'd have different wording. But the dot is actually your absolute maximum. So he was trying to get at generally you're not going to go to your absolute limit. So, so 10 is below that absolute limit, but just really, really hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At later 1 to 10 scales, they tend to get rid of the dot. This is like 11. From Spinal Tap. Exactly. Turn it up But to you 11. never go to 11. You never go to 11. <laughs> so why not just make 10 louder? <laughs> but it goes to 11. <laughs> exactly. Put a dot there. So, yes, there have been many, many variations on both the 6 to, to 20 and the, and the 1 to 10 cents. And like I said, where, where you're getting the variation is the wording they use to describe what 10 means, what 8 means, what 5 means, what, what 1 means. And that wording is very important. So after giving you that whole explanation, I'm now going to jump and say, even though we put RP in the title and we're talking about, we just talked a bit about the rate of perceived exertion, 
really this episode is goes further than that. What we're talking about is learning how to ride by feel. But I, I'd like to start with RP to get the sense that feel is a legitimate metric. So in the lab, RPE is actually used as a metric. You will see scientific studies where they're going to show you trends in power, trends in heart rate, and show you trends in RPE. Yeah. They're all equal. I do feel like RPE is the terminology we would use in the laboratory context, the laboratory setting. I don't know if a lot of people are taking RPE out onto the road. They might they might do a sessions RPE rating after the fact, right? But in the moment, on an interval, are you thinking in terms of RPE? Or are you thinking in terms of those key words, maybe like really hard or extremely hard or too hard or whatever, right. you know? And I think that's a lot of what we're going to discuss as we go through this episode is what is feel? Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. it a number? Like, are you sitting out there doing intervals going... I feel about an eight. I want to be 8.2. Or are you just feeling, boy, this is really hard or coming up with particular wording for it? Mm-hmm. Or is there just this innate sense of I'm doing a 10 minute interval. This is about how it should feel for me to be able to survive 10 minutes of this. Yeah. And, and that's part of what we're going to get into. And this is a good point, a, a jumping off point we've got from episode 169. We've got Dirk Friel talking about how numbers can actually overwhelm his athletes, and he actually spends some time getting his athletes not to use numbers and, and learn that feel. All right, let's hear from Dirk. Yeah, self-interpretation is so, so critical. Like, are you on the positive side of this equation or the negative side? And if you're on the negative side, that that just seeps in and tends to make it worse and worse. I was thinking that when I was riding the trainer yesterday, hating the numbers I'm looking at, I'm like, if this was an indoor test right now, I wish I wouldn't see these numbers. I just want to do this ramp test with no numbers at all in front of me, you know, because I could probably go farther if I didn't even know what Watts I was at, you know? And so sometimes I think like I've done too many ramp tests where I knew the numbers and that was that was probably not a good thing. Can you prescribe intervals off your RPE and say go ten minutes at eight <laughs> out of ten? You know, sometimes that's a good way to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and see the data afterwards. Yes, absolutely. Certainly, uh, yeah. If my athlete, if I told him to do something by RPE, and then they well, he told me to do it by RPE, so I didn't record it. Well, yeah, record, <laughs> record it. How can I help you? So definitely record it. <laughs> Do you ever work with athletes who are kind of not into seeing the data, uh, don't really care to look at it? You want it as a coach. You want to look at it. You want to check in on all those things, but they're not really interested in it. Um, Chris, I have worked with you. I know. that's the, <laughs> so, so you've got an athlete like that um, who doesn't really look at the training data, but would you still encourage them to key off of certain things in – racing in terms of the data? Well, Chris already knows my answer. So (laughs) Dirk, why don't you take this one? (laughs) No, I mean, each, each athlete is unique and different and you don't need to overburden an athlete with the numbers if they don't care for it. So if we can set that internal pacing and RPE and their own self-regulated, you know, that's kind of the, the best right there. They can, they can 
manage their energy reserves, their lactate levels, et cetera, internally, you know, and that's a great way to race. Although if it's a newer athlete and you, you put a power meter on their bike and they do a time trial and they absolutely horribly mess it up and just didn't do the pacing you had talked about doing ahead of time, then we might pull out the data and show what could have gone better in Mm -hmm. that time trial. Um, there might be a case of, okay, we're going to have you look at this, but make it simple. I don't want you to go over 250 Watts for the first 10 minutes, whatever it might be, you know? Um, so that's a, a very simple case of where numbers can be a benefit, but don't overburden the athlete with the numbers. Other athletes absolutely dig it and love all the numbers and you almost have to hold them back. Right. Um, so don't get into the numbers too much now. Um, so I think it can, go, it can kind of go either way. You need to work with that individual athlete because each, each person's different. Okay, so I want to I want to revisit that question that we sort of posed at the top of the the show, and we have it in the title essentially. Uh, why do you think RPE is the most important ret- metric, or how do how does it serve as the most important metric here? So let me start by going back to the two most common metrics that we actually have, particularly on your bike computer, for measuring intensity. We have heart rate and power. And we have certainly had episodes here where we have had the debates of which of those two metrics is is the most valuable. And certainly people on the power side point out, well, heat's going to impact your heart rate. Dehydration's going to impact your heart rate. The heart rate fluctuates day to day, so you can't really use heart rate. It's a useless metric. Likewise, people who are more on the heart rate side are going to talk about the same sort of thing on the power. Power doesn't show how your body's feeling about it. So one day, 300 watts might be pretty hard, and another day, 300 watts might be unsustainable. So it's not really saying what's going on in your body, and there's this debate back and forth. Mm-hmm. And here I'm going to give you my answer to this, which is they're both right. <laughs> right. Sure. You, everybody's like, well, so which is the reliable? Which is the one I can look at every day and say, yep, as long as I'm using that number, all is good. You can't with either. Mm-hmm. And so here, and, and to emphasize this point, you know, I don't swear. <laughs> Please bleep this. RP is the bull test. Mm-hmm. RP is the thing that any, so if you talk to any pro athlete, any very experienced athlete, they're going to tell you, sure, I'll look at heart rate. I will look at power, but then it's how I feel that's going to make me adjust. So this is the one day, 300 Watts might be pretty manageable. One day it might be too much. RP is going to tell you, you're going to go out, start riding at 300 Watts and go, boy, this really hurts today. I think there's a process there there, you know, we've probably all gone out on the bike or whatever activity we're doing and started up a session of whatever we wanted to do and had that feeling of, God, I feel off today. The next thing we probably try to do is figure out what is causing this problem. Um, Is it uh, stress? Uh, Is it lack of sleep? Is it the power meter is wrong or, or something that you're seeing is giving you a number that's radically off. Is, is there something caught in your chain or spokes? Like what you start lo- searching for a reason. And when you don't and you start just tuning into the sensations, that's when you can do that bullshit check 
I do swear, so you don't have to believe that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> and say to yourself, you know what? It's it's none of those other things. It's just me. It's I'm off today. It's a feeling yep. I'm getting. So this is why I am making that claim that RPE is that most important metric because, look, you can use heart rate. You can use power. I use both. They're valuable metrics. But if you just trust the number without having them framed in that in, in the context of how do I feel, you're not going to use those numbers correctly. And that's what we want to get across. That shapes how you use the numbers. And so here, let's do another jump. We have from episode 116, Kristen Legan. Um, and she's going to talk a little bit about how things feel when they're off and talk about some of those issues with feel versus heart rate. All right, let's hear from Kristen now. You know, talking about different tells or, or ways to understand your body, um, for one thing that I work with a lot of athletes is, is paying attention to your mood. If you're, you know, just dreading getting onto your bike and you just don't want to go out for that ride, that's something that could be a tell for people of, you know, I'm starting to overreach a little bit or I'm just pushing the, that limit a little bit too much. Um because, you know, there's always days that we don't want to be on our bike and it's snowing out or raining out and we don't want to do that. But if you're really struggling with the motivation, I think that's a good way to kind of it's a good time to check in with yourself and see where you're at and, and what you could be doing to reverse that. What other indicators would you uh, would you give? Well, I think that heart rate is a really good opportunity. This is a good opportunity to look at your heart rate and start to understand how your heart rate changes with those efforts when we're feeling bad, sometimes we can gut it out and still hit the power numbers, but that might not be the right thing that we should be doing that day. So um, one indicator for me is if you're doing some shorter efforts or even some longer efforts and you, you do the effort, you're hitting the power, okay, you're not feeling great. But then when you stop and your heart rate doesn't come back down as quickly as it normally does between during, during that rest time, that's a good indicator to me that maybe you, you, know, you might need some more rest coming up or, you know, if it's really struggling to come down, then that might be a time to say, okay, this today, I just need to go pedal my bike easy. Um, so just, I think heart rate's important in this whole question because you can kind of fake the power sometimes and just make the numbers happen, but it might not be what, you know, you might not be actually working on the physiological stuff that you want to be because you're just too tired. So I think another um, con another context where RP becomes uh, becomes so important is within races. Uh, for me, someone who focuses on cyclocross, you're not really going to check out that power meter or heart rate in a race like that. It, first of all, you don't have time. You're 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 your eyes cannot be glued to a computer screen. They have to be looking at the line, the races around you, the terrain, all of that sort of stuff. So you have to be in tune with feel. I imagine uh, my experience is in crits, same type of thing. If, you, if you're in the mix, if you're, you just don't want to be looking at a screen. You want to be paying attention to everything that's going around you, including what's going on inside of you, and, and that feeling becomes extremely important. And then, of course, in a road racing sense, there might be times when, sure, you can look down at your, your screen and uh, on a climb, uh, you might have the time to look down on the, uh, at the screen 
check in with your numbers, but there are definitely times in road races uh, where you cannot rely on that data to inform what you should do next, how you should react to somebody's move, how long you're going to make be, wait before you make your move, et cetera. Yep. Well, this is where I'll actually jump ahead to, to one of my assertions. Okay. Which is, I don't think you can race well unless you are racing on feel. Mm -hmm. uh, for most of us, probably all of us, we can put out better power numbers racing than we can in training. And so what I see is athletes who try to race by power limit themselves because you hit moments in the race where you have to ride above and beyond what you can do on any training ride if you are going to stay in that race and stay competitive. Mm -hmm. And if you're going on feel, you can do that. You just hit that moment and go, okay, I got to dig deep and I'm going to do it. And I've seen so many athletes that look down at their power meter at that moment and go, oh my God, I can't sustain that. And they quit. Yeah. They put a governor on themselves in yep. that way. Yep. So I know a few athletes who can train a race by power or use power in a race. Probably 80, 90% of the athletes I've worked with better to just cover up that part of their, their computer screen and, and just race. Mm-hmm. I'm actually one of the few because I know that. I know I can put out much better power when I'm racing. And I actually have those moments where I look down at that critical moment in the race and go, ooh, cool. Yeah, I mean, look what it, I'm doing. You could, you could, if you have that sense about you, um, use it to motivate yourself, right? Right, which is what it does for me. But I don't see that in many athletes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that's kind of my first assertion. For most athletes, and even there, I'll even say that for myself. I think it's cool to look down at the numbers. But it's feel in a race. And I'm saying this as a breakaway rider. You have to know the feels. You have to know what a 50-minute breakaway feels like, what a five-minute effort feels like, what a 10-minute breakaway feels like. You have to know those feels or you just can't race it. Yep. Know the feels. I like that phrase. So with that, let's throw in a really great conversation we had with Joe Friel and Jim Rutberg back in episode 133, where very similar to his son, Joe talks about making his athletes learn the feel and even says you can't be a well-rounded athlete without it. All right. Let's listen to Joe and Jim. So, Joe, one question that I would have for you is, is well, how should people, for instance, with ergometer mode, um, correlate? Because um, ergometer mode only controls power. So how what do they need to be doing with correlating RPE and heart rate in order to see whether or not that workout is, is the way it should be? Well, the bottom line always is RPE. Um, ready to perceive exertion. That that really is is what training is all about. If every battery on your bike failed, you should still be able to do the the workout or the race, and and do it in a quite um, uh, appropriate manner. Hit hit numbers which are very close to what you're supposed to be hitting, even if you don't have the numbers in front of you. So every athlete needs to be able to do that. And all we're doing with the power data and so forth is giving us a way of specifying more precisely what that um, effort should be. Um, so, so bottom line is the athlete has to know how to, uh, for example, when I, when I was coaching a lot of athletes, I would, I would have them put a piece of tape over their handlebar 
device or even over their wristwatch so they couldn't see their heart rate and still have them do the workout. And then later on, we'd look at to see how they were doing relative to what their, uh, uh, what their, their impression was and how hard it was. In other words, RPE versus power versus heart rate. And so, you know, that, that's the sort of thing we all must be good at. We've, we're becoming very used right now to having all the numbers in front of us. But the bottom line is we've got to be able to produce um, those numbers without having them visibly in front of us all the time. So, so training is really much more complex than simply looking at numbers. It's got a lot of feeling that has to do with how am I doing, relative to what am I supposed to be doing. And that's something that the athlete has to learn. If you, if you only look at numbers, then I'm, I'm afraid you're really not becoming a well-rounded athlete. We need to be, um, be able to interpret the numbers and use them, but we also need to be able to, to do the, uh, the workout uh, without the numbers so we can just do it based on how it feels. So I think there's, it really goes both ways. There is no either or here. It's really both. The athlete needs to understand how to use the numbers and how to, how to uh, train based on RPE. Joe, before we get away from what you were just discussing, a question I really want to ask you as a, as a follow-up. Going back to, to erg mode, where the trainer is setting the wattage, do you feel that helps athletes to learn the feel, or do you think that takes it away from them and always riding in erg mode, they're, they're never going to learn the feel? No, I think it's, again, it's, it works both ways. The athlete needs to be able to, to know what's going on as far as production. What, what, what wattage are they producing? The bottom line is um, there's two things we're looking at in terms of, of uh, performance and, and effort. One of them is, is power, um, and that's, that's a performance measure. Um, that's, that's what we're looking at is how am I performing? Whereas RPE, especially, and also even heart rate, are measures of effort. How much, how much effort am I putting into this? Trevor, you have some other assertions here. What, what are those? So I've already given you my first, which is I do not think you can effectively race without learning the field. But look, so to get to my second assertion, I'm going to bring up something that you're very aware of, which is we get a whole lot of questions from listeners about, you know, trying to get into those eccentricities of the intervals, about how to find the right number to do the intervals at. And very frequently when we send our response, this is where you see the biggest disappointment in our answer because they're looking for, yes, execute this interval at 95% of your FTP or 97% of your FTP, and that's going to be perfect. And I will never give that answer. I'll always give, here's guidelines with heart rate, here's guidelines with power, but ultimately it comes down to the feel. They, and, want, a, they want a pinpoint target. <laughs> and that's can't not get it. how it works. And this is the reason why. Ultimately, I'm going to say when you are doing interval work, heart rate and power are guidelines, but RPE, that feel, is the most important thing when you're doing intervals, and that guides it. So my second assertion is I do not think you can effectively inter execute interval work without using RPE. Mm-hmm. And we'll dive deeper into this. Um, we're actually going to talk a lot about the execution, really talk about how to use RP to guide your interval work. But I'm going to make that assertion now. You cannot, you can't simply go out and do intervals and say, this number, hold it, 
and know that you effectively executed intervals. RPE has to guide it. Mm -hmm. And on that note, let's throw in another clip here. This is from episode 138 with Amos Brumble, where he has worked with a lot of high-level athletes. He makes the assertion that the best athletes don't need power to execute effective intervals. All right, let's hear from Amos now. I think the best athletes I've ever seen have always been very attuned to things like perceived exertion, and they do an incredibly like accurate job of giving themselves just enough training load to improve, but not so much that they get exhausted. And but that, in my mind, is one of the things that separates like natural athletes from the average you know, Joe that would get on a bike and just start pedaling around. And if he's capable of that, then, then yeah, going around and looking at perceived exertion, you know, mileage goals or hours on the bike, you know, he'll be able to build an effective plan. How would you recommend that a training plan be structured? Anything different about a training plan in terms of its structure, if somebody isn't using power or it, I would venture to say that most of the same rules apply. Would you agree? Yeah, I would apply all the same training. The only thing that would really vary is the numbers that he would look at. An athlete, let's say he's going to use perceived exertion and a heart rate monitor, and he's got some kind of like a watch or something. So he's going to time his intervals. I mean, my experience has been is that if an athlete knows how to feel the power that they're putting out, they can, they can do an interval you can give them like a range of heart rates, you know, which, you know, zone training, which is pretty popular like years ago, and they can put out a required power. The only workouts that I see that are really power dependent are a lot of like kind of the micro intervals that you see offered and, you know, like in structured plans now. And those are kind of harder to quantify with just perceived exertion, if that makes any sense. Okay, now I think we need to get to the crux of the matter here, which is how to learn RPE or how to learn how to tap into those feelings. I feel like this is a really challenging thing. You you can slap a power meter on your bike and it spits out a number at you. You can put on a heart rate strap and again, it spits out a number at you. There's not a lot of skill involved there. There's none, in fact. With riding by feeling tapping into those feelings, understanding how to uh, interpret those feelings and then, uh, and then do something about that. That's a, that's a skill that takes a long, can take a long time to learn and develop. Uh, And it's also a, a pretty challenging thing to explain to someone how to do if they're unfamiliar with this type of sensation and this type of practice. So let's get into that conversation. And look, I'm going to start by saying, yes, It's going to take time to learn this feel if you don't have this feel yet. And it's something very, very worthwhile to teach yourself. But we all have an inherent ability to do this. And I'm actually, we just had that episode, just just a few episodes ago, uh, where we were talking with with, uh, Rob Pickles Mm -hmm. about some recent studies. And we had the one, uh, this was the... uh, the time spent near VO2 max during different cycling self-paced interval training protocols. This was not high-level athletes in the in this study, 
they were cyclists, and they did a variety of different types of intervals. So four-minute and eight-minute intervals, and then the one of the four minutes, they had one-minute recoveries. The other four minutes, they had two-minute recoveries. And then the eight minutes, one format was two-minute recoveries, and the other was four-minute recoveries. So it was actually quite different interval sessions. And you saw that the average power uh, so I'm sorry, I should mention they couldn't see power. They couldn't see heart rate. They had to do everything by feel. Mm-hmm. And you saw that the average power varied quite significantly between these different intervals. So, for example, the uh, the the four minute intervals with the two minute recoveries, the average power group power was 275 watts versus the eight minute intervals with two minute recoveries. The average the, the group average power was 234. So that's a big difference. That's mm-hmm. Uh, about 40 watts. But interestingly, the RPE, session RPE, for all these different interval types was virtually the same. The lowest was the four by one minute intervals was 16.7. So they were using the Borg six to 20 scale. Mm -hmm. The highest was the eight by uh, four minutes at 17.2. So I'm not even sure that that hit the point of being significant. Mm-hmm. So what you saw was when these athletes were doing these intervals by feel, they were able to find the power to hit about the the same rate of perceived exertion for yeah. all these interval sessions, which was quite extraordinary. Right. And I don't, yeah, it's, it's a fascinating thing to be able to find that pace that uh, elicits the same type of sensation over different time periods when you don't have a, uh, an anchor or a, a, a lot of experience to base it on. But that's, yep. that's really cool. So one of the simple things you can do is, is go look up the Borg scale or go look up a, a rate of perceived exertion scale, find one that seems to resonate with you. Like I said, most of them are either 6 to 20 or 1 to 10. I, I actually... I think I might have seen a 1 to 20 as well, but mm-hmm. almost all the ones I've seen have been 1 to 10 or, or 6 to 20. Look at the more at the wording beside it. Find one that's got the wording that seems to resonate with you mm-hmm. and learn that because that was the one thing that actually these athletes had is they were being asked throughout the session, point on the Borg scale yep. where they're at. And so probably that was influencing their ability to find the intensity. So that's one simple thing you can do if you really don't know the feel is just memorize one of these scales. And when you're out doing your interval work, say, I am targeting 16, 17. Yep. And whatever the particular wording is for that. Or tape it, t- put a piece of tape on your stem and write the scale out with a, with a simple word next to it, if you can. That, that could also be a, w- a way to do it. Yep. So, I mean, that's, that's a very simple way if you really don't know the feel to learn the feel. And as you can see with these athletes, that was actually extraordinarily effective. And and in the study, they show the power and heart rate graphs of the intervals for these athletes. And as a coach, I looked at that and went, wow, it would actually, with a new athlete, it would take me several sessions to teach them how to do execute intervals that well. I was actually really impressed. Mm-hmm. They saw no numbers and that was great execution. Yeah. So we have that inherent sense, and and we can all tap into that. Another way I think you can learn this is, you know, we've talked about FTP tests. We've talked about the the 4DP test. 
that's actually, I love giving my athletes those tests because on top of getting good numbers from them, it's a great tool for teaching feel because you do a, you know, five second efforts easy. It's just as hard as you can go for five seconds. Mm -hmm. But the other ones get harder to pace. How do you pace a five minute? How do you pace a 20 minute? How do you pace a one minute? And I can tell you when I work with a new athlete who's fairly inexperienced, they go out and do it. And half the time, if I give them the 4DP test, they don't even finish it because mm -hmm. they don't know how to pace it right. Yeah. Yep. But I can then sit down, show them the data and go, look at the five minute, look at the, the, the graph here, what you did. So typically they go out way too hard and explode. Yep. Um, same thing with the 20 minute test. So then we can start to have a conversation and then in a month, I'll have them go out and do it again. Talk about, you know, remember what you did the last time and we can work in the execution and you see very quickly, they start to improve. And then what they learn is this is what a five minute effort feels like. This is what a 20 minute effort feels like. This is what a one minute effort feels like. And I, you know, on top of getting the data, as I was saying, I love giving my athletes the 4DP as much for them learning, learning the feel, mm -hmm. learning the intensity. I think that uh, beyond those initial steps to learn the feeling, it, it's very helpful. And I find myself doing this all the time to this day is if, if I am looking, if I do have the power meter on or the heart rate strap on checking in and, 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 essentially not guessing, but saying, okay, I think right now what I'm doing is 200 watts or I'm doing 250 watts. And I'm not talking necessarily even during an effort, just putting a number to a feeling throughout a, a, a power band in an interval or not uh, out on the road and, and testing myself. And that keeps you, keeps those skills fresh of anchoring the feeling to a number so that you can, again, it's like RPE is a check on power and heart rate and, and heart rate and power can be a check back to RPE in a sense. It goes both ways. And that's a great segue to this is episode 154 where we had Jim Miller and Kristen Armstrong on the show. We were talking about time trialing and Kristen brought up uh, something that she loves to do, which is learning what 300 watts, for example, feels like, or 250 watts. So she likes to go out and without looking at power, hit an intensity where she goes, I think I'm at 300 watts, and then scroll back in her screen and see if she's actually at 300 watts, which is a great skill to learn. Because certainly if you're working with a coach who can really help you find out what, you know, whether your, your physiological power ranges or zones, um, they can tell you, yeah, you, you know, your 20 minute time trial should be around this wattage, your one hour time trial, your five minute. And then you should go out and practice without looking at down. OK, I think I'm at that power and look down, see if you're actually that close to that wattage. Mm -hmm. So let's let's hear from them. Very good. What metrics do you use to gauge yourself? How, how do you gauge? Are you, do you have a giant computer with every single number on it or are you much more, I'm going to do this by feel? <laughs> oh, that's, um, Both would be the answer. You could have really good feel and pacing and time traveling. Uh, if, if you know what 300 watts feels like, you know what 300 watts feels like. You don't have to see it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, if you're year one of racing bikes, 
you probably can't guess within proximity where you're at, but if you're in your 18 of racing bikes, you probably don't even need a power meter to, to pinpoint your exact power. So that's why I would say both. I agree. I would say that, you know, as growing up as a runner, I remember when I was running, you know, half miles and intervals or miles um, in a 10 K race, you, you know, what a mile at what pace, like six mile, six minute mile pace feels like, right. Just naturally through experience. And so I think that when you take it to the bike, it's the same thing. You feel that with power. Even today I play these games because I have to play something with myself since, I mean, I'm not competing anymore. I'll go out and I play this game where I'm like, oh, I bet you I'm at 240 watts right now. And I look down, I'm like, yes, I still have it. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Like I honestly play the what watt am I at right now game to this day because I I can guess it within five. Like I really can. It's crazy. Yeah, the word I was looking for there is reverse engineer, sort of um, taking the the data to to teach feeling in a sense. Um, and you know, Kristen, the best one of the best time trialists in the world is doing it. Um, I'm I'm doing this to test myself throughout rides all the time. Um, I'm sure you are too, Trevor. It's the it's a common way of checking or reverse engineering just informing what certain uh, efforts feel like and putting it a number to it going back and forth and using both of those to inform one another. Yeah. I think there is a real value in in reverse engineering this. So I think a lot of the ways people try to learn feel, and there's a a value to this is to try to target a number and then go out and sit at that number and, and see what that feels like. I think there's as much, if not a bigger value to instead do what we just heard Kristen say, go out and do intervals, do something, do an effort, not looking at the numbers, do it completely by feel, then download the data. And particularly if you're working with a coach, have your coach look and get the assessment of looking at the data that was too easy or that was too hard. And then get that feedback and then go out and go, okay, that last time was too easy. So I need to, it needs to feel a little harder and then go out and do the effort and see if you can get to where you can do that effort that when you download the data, you or your coach looks at it and goes, yep, spot on. Mm-hmm. And that's where the data can be really useful. I think one thing we haven't really spoken about yet, um, and, and again, this is this is where some of the challenge comes in, is what are we talking about when we say the word feeling? It makes me think of some of the work that I've done with Grant Holicky. We have some workshops on mindfulness and self-awareness. What I am considering when I think about the feelings of a given effort, uh, it, I, I know this is going to sound weird perhaps, but you're, it's almost like looking at something with peripheral vision. You're opening up you're 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 taking in everything and and nothing at the same time if that makes sense it probably doesn't you're you're listening to your breathing or you're understanding how hard you're breathing you're quote unquote feeling what your muscles are doing in your legs and then the rest of your body but you're not just paying attention to that there's this uh, 
this ability that you have to find of paying attention to the specifics, but also looking more broadly about all of it simultaneously. D- does it, does this make any sense at all, Trevor? It does simply because this is where you get into it. This is difficult. Yeah. What is that feel? Right. Yeah. And you asked me earlier on be- before we started recording here, describe the, the feelings. And we both kind of went, well, I know it when I feel it, but it's really hard to sit here and go, it's this, this, and this, Yeah, which is part of the reason there's now so many of these RPE scales, because that's exactly what the researchers are trying to get at. It's not the numbers, but the, what are the right words beside those numbers mm-hmm. to give that sense of the feel. And I'll even take it a step further. And I don't know if, if this is in line with where you are going, Chris, but there isn't just one feel. Mm-hmm. It depends on what you're trying to do. Sure. And the feel for a five-minute effort is very different from the feel for a five-hour LSD ride. Yeah, definitely. And I actually think one of the mistakes I see a lot of athletes make is the only thing they know about feel is it always has to feel hard, mm. which is why I think you see a lot of newer cyclists when they get into cycling don't like that long, slow ride because it isn't hard. Mm-hmm. And if they're out there noodling on their bike, their feeling is, well, this isn't the right RP. This isn't the right feel. It, it isn't hard. So I've got to go harder. I got to, it's got to feel hard. Yeah, that's interesting. A, 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 an acute amount of pain or discomfort is easier to put a number on than a sort of vague right. feeling of it's not discomfort. It, like you said, you're noodling around. There's something going on, but it's, it's really vague and it's hard, much harder to put a number on that. Right. And that's actually, so here's another good segue. This is, this goes way back episode 54 with Dr. Seiler. He talks about the feel of those long rides, which is more just this overall sense of being depleted. So let's quickly hear from him. I used to always use the analogy that, that these kind of rides, these long intensity, you empty, you feel empty when Mm -hmm. you're, when you're finished. And one of the ways I tell athletes to, to see, am I in the right zone is, Man, when you come off a ride like that, you should just feel like you can go straight to the dinner table and <laughs> <Yes>. just start <laughs> and just start filling the tanks because yeah. you haven't you haven't created a big sympathetic response, but you have really emptied the system. You've used a lot of energy and, and you need to fill the tank. Whereas when you do you, you guys know when you do a really tough interval session, most people have a real hard time sitting at the dinner table right after one of those or even half an hour after one of those because of this sympathetic response. So that's one of the ways I always use just a, a poor man's way of saying, all right, were you in the right zone? You should be able to go straight to the dinner table after this workout if, you, if the goal was a low-intensity session. All right. We know Dr. Seiler is a big uh, fan of the long rides and, and that feeling of depletion that he describes there. Trevor, uh, in terms of high-intensity work, what are some of the other things people should be noting when they do this? So the best way I've found to describe the feel to my athletes is for to tell them to think about the overall session. So if they're doing intervals, for example, let's say they're just doing five by five minute intervals. Um, I will tell them, I want you to find an intensity, a, a level of effort and pain that you can sustain across all those intervals. 
So at any point, ask yourself, can I keep this up for this five minutes? More importantly, if I've still got four to go, can I keep this up across all four? And that's where you have to check in with yourself and say, is this feasible or not? And then if you go, no, I could do this for one, but there's no way I can do this for the remaining four, you're going too hard. So bring it down. Mm -hmm. If, for example, somebody's doing a 20-minute time trial, they're in a race, they're doing a five-minute time trial, I'm a little more stringent with it. My, my explanation is at any point in that 20-minute time trial, let's say, so let's say you're five minutes in, you got 15 minutes to go, ask yourself the question, can I sustain this for another 15 minutes? And if your answer is yes, you're going too easy. <laughs> if your answer is absolutely not, you're going too hard. If your question is, if your answer is, oh boy, I don't know, maybe. That's probably right. You're doing about right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, so uh, probably not exactly the words some of the listeners want to hear because it's not that target. It's not that this is what it should feel like. But that's where the skill and the experience come in. This is This is not something you should expect to nail the first time you ever employ it. Yep. So here's a good place to segue to Ned Overend from episode 119, because here's a guy who was a world champion, still at 60, can beat up a lot of the Cat 1s out there, and he completely learned how to find that feel when he does his work. So here's him describing a little bit of, of how he finds that feel. I can plan to go on a hard day. And, and I know the segments right on Strava, so I, I'll pace myself for those certain segments to try and get a, a fast time on them. When I go out and do that, it, it's not set in stone because, and it's really just kind of a feeling I have in my legs. I'll warm up, I'll start doing the segments, and my legs will feel heavy, and I won't be able to... Uh, turn over the gear that I'm I'm looking for and I, I know the speeds and, and just the the feeling my body has when it's rested, then I'll skip doing intervals, do a recovery ride and uh wait to do intervals on a day when I'm when I'm better recovered. Are there particular feels in your body that you say, okay, that's a danger sign or that's a red flag? It's a fatigue that I'm I'm feeling in my legs and I'm not gonna call it necessarily a burning because it's almost because I don't get to the point where my legs are burning. It's where I'm attempting to put in an effort. And, you know, I feel that, uh, like my respiration increases, right? I'm breathing harder and, uh, and I can't actually get to that point where I can make my legs burn. Sometimes your body has to, to wake up, right? So if you're just starting one effort and, and you don't, you're feeling fatigue, sometimes you need more of an opener before you can get to the point, you know, where you can do a quality interval. So when you're out, it sounds like, you know, you, you don't use heart rate, you don't use power to, in, to give yourself cues as to how your effort compares to previous efforts or what you're trying to target. But you are using Strava, which is numbers. Um, I'm, I'm curious if you use the live segments. It's after the fact. I haven't been using live segments. So that begs a question, when you're doing some sort of structured work, like you're doing, let's say, thresholds on some of the climbs, how do you pace yourself? 
do you just know about how hard you want to go? Is it just years of, of learning the pace or? Yeah, it's, it's, it's from knowing the segments and then basically feeling in my legs, not going too hard until I can know that the end of the segment is coming. So it's kind of just pace learned over, you know, 20, 30 years of, of training. It sounds like you just have this innate sense of. Yeah, I would say it's trial and error. It's knowing, you know, the feel in my leg and, and the, the building up of fatigue as far as how long it can last over the specific climb. You can bury yourself a little harder if you know that the climb is going to flatten out and you'll get a little bit of recovery. It's specific to knowing the climb and not so much just based on time. So let's flip this around and ask it a slightly different way. Do you think there is a danger with some of these younger athletes who who have all these numbers? Um, If they're going out and doing their workouts and and time trialing, staring at wattage, staring at heart rate, do you think there's a danger in in not learning the feel and and affecting their performance? In, In the same way that when I'm doing a group ride, it pushes me harder than when I'm doing intervals myself, or it pushes me in a different way. And uh, I, I think that when you're in a race, if somebody, especially in a race, if somebody is looking at a, at a watt meter or a heart rate monitor, they're restricting themselves when they may be able to push themselves beyond kind of the numbers they've seen in training to whether it's make a break or, or stay away from somebody or, I think they, if they put those kind of parameters on themselves, that, that it may hinder the performance they're capable of. Hey, I'm Ryan Kohler, head coach and physiologist at Fast Talk Laboratories. And I'm Trevor Connor, CEO of Fast Talk Labs. Between the two of us, Ryan and I have over 40 years of coaching and clinical experience. From juniors to masters, national level athletes to club riders. Our team at Fast Talk Laboratories is pleased to offer new solutions and services. Now you can get the same guidance and testing available to athletes at national performance centers. No matter where you live or train, our virtual performance center can be your support network to get faster, to get answers, and to get more enjoyment from your sport. Schedule a free consult. We'll discuss your background and recommend a path forward. Book a coaching help session. We'll help you push your thinking and find new opportunities. We can troubleshoot challenges and find solutions. Even if you're working with a coach, we can help support you and your coach by bringing a neutral, science-based perspective to your training. Schedule inside testing you can do from anywhere in the world. We can reveal incredible insights into your personal physiology and strengths as an athlete, plus next steps to improve your performance. Prove your nutrition with a consultation tailored to your needs or create a personal race day nutrition plan. We can even help you with workouts and skills. We offer in-person and virtual sessions to guide key workouts or improve technique. Fast Talk Laboratories is here for you, wherever you are. See how we can help at fasttalklabs.com solutions. All right, now that everybody out there knows how to do this, <laughs> let's talk about the, 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 the application of feeling, uh, the application of RPE, how does someone use this now that they've learned how to employ it? 
So I will say one of the most important ones that, that you hinted at earlier in the show is using it to assess where you're at. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the biggest mistakes I see athletes make who are completely relying on the numbers. They go out to do an interval session and they go, I've got to do this at, at 270 watts. And so absolutely bury themselves to hit the number and and finish the workout and, and are quite proud of themselves if they get it accomplished. They never ask the question, should I be doing this? Mm-hmm. And this is, again, where RP comes in. Because if you're going out, if you can normally do these intervals pretty easily at that 270 watts, and you are dying now, you are struggling, and it's way on that RP scale, way above what you're used to, you need to be asking that question, should I be doing these? Because mm-hmm. you might be fatigued. Right. You might be beat up, and it is not the right time to be doing those intervals and RP is going to inform that. So that's where a coach can really help out. And that's where you just have to gain that experience of going out. But the first thing you have to do is every single time hit the, hit whatever number you're, you're used to. And then ask, is this feeling right? Mm-hmm. And there's a range of, boy, I'm feeling really good today. So fantastic. Maybe I'll up the wattage a little bit or. I'm not feeling great today, but I can get through this. But there is a point where this is feeling too off. And the worst thing you can be doing is is struggling through that. And you need to learn that line. And certainly a coach can help there. But experience can teach you that as well. And I want to set some expectations, I think. Um, in my experience, the number of times you would go out for a particular session and and actually pull the plug based on something you're feeling again personally it's pretty low this doesn't happen all that that often if it is happening a lot that probably uh says something that something's off with the training right. as a whole so i wouldn't expect this to happen too often but that's why you employ it that's why you make this assessment based on feeling every time because one of these days it's going to crop up and you're going to need to say you know what today's not the day to push yep. through this right and, and you just brought up something that's also really important which is look at the overall trend you are going to have days where you're going to, it's going to be a struggle to get through the workout. You're going to have days where you feel great. Most days, I mean, look, and intervals hurt. You're never going to, rarely going to go out and go, oh boy, all right, I'm going to, you know, this, this 20 second effort's going to suck. I can't wait. <laughs> um, so factoring that out, um, most days it should just be, I'm getting the work done. That was fine. If every day you are struggling to get that done, you need to take a look at what am I doing with my training? Do I have a good balance between recovery and training? Because you shouldn't be dragging your feet every single interval session. Right, right. So now here's where also RP can really help with heart, or when we're talking about trying to figure out that, am I just feeling a little off or push through? This is actually where heart rate can be really valuable because if I'm going out on a day and going, boy, it's harder to hit whatever wattage than, than normal, I'll look at my heart rate and see how my heart rate is responding. And if heart rate is also low and sluggish, that is a physiological sign. Mm-hmm. And that's where I go, yep, body is not ready. I am fatigued. Go home. So this is where all these metrics help. But the first one is that RPE to say, 
do I feel on course here or not? Yeah, it's that first warning sign. Yep. And I've had times in, I will go out. So, for example, I remember last spring I went out to do my hill repeats. Now, strangely, I could hit my normal power, no problem. But didn't the, the, the feeling was not, oh, boy, this is really, really painful. It wasn't higher on the RPE scale. Feeling was just off. And I'm not even sure I could describe it. Now, I normally do my hill pe- repeats right around 170 beats per minute. So I pushed through the first interval, but by the end of that interval, I hadn't even broken 160. Mm. And that's where I looked at and said, something feels off, even though I can hit the numbers. Heart rate is 10 beats below where it should be. Something's off today. Turned around, went home. Hmm. What was it? Do you know? Don't know. I just know that that was the wrong <laughs> day to do those intervals. Yep, yep. I know that we've spoken in the past with Dr. Steven Seiler about how to use RPE to, to pace four by eights, how to adjust up or down accordingly based on how you're feeling that day. Did we not, Trevor? Yeah, and thank you for bringing that up because that also goes back to what we were talking about much earlier in the show that when people ask us about the power to do intervals at, and I, I never give them a number. I always talk about that, that effort, that, that RPE and people being dissatisfied, well, this is exactly what Dr. Seiler brought up. So we asked him on on a recent show, this was uh, episode 185, to explain how to do, what's the right intensity for those four, four by eight minute intervals that he's so famous for. And you'll hear in this clip, he did the same thing. He talked about using feel to guide the power numbers, not to just lock in at a power number. So yeah, I think that's a great example of everything we've been talking about here. So let's let's hear that. Very good. Here's Steven. Let's go ahead and put in a block or, or, a, or a cycle, a four-week cycle, where every week for four weeks, we're going to do a, a four-by-eight session, just one. You know, and, and then what you do, you may have a second hard day that you do a race or you do a whatever. But, but we're going to have one session, and we're going to start that first week totally on feel in week one. That's what I would do. I would have them do is I would say just, yeah, you're, you're looking at your power, you're looking at your heart rate, but just accept, just try to find what feels uncomfortably comfortable or comfortably uncomfortable. You could decide which way you want it, but you get my point. You, it should feel like, all right, this is tough, but I'm in the zone. I can, I can hold. And, and each, each, about feels tougher, but you're trying for even pacing, but just go on feel. And then you get some numbers. You say, okay, I was, I held 350, 350 Watts. All right. So now you got a benchmark and now you can start saying, all right, what was, what was my heart rate? You know, and then you can go in week two, you're going to try to add five Watts or, or maybe 10, but not more. Uh, Or, or you could say, I'm going to add an extra, interval, an extra bout. So you could start at three times eight in week one, and then go to four times eight in week two at the same power and go to five times eight in week three at the same power. And then week four is your unload, or maybe you do four times eight at a slight or three times eight at a slightly higher power. You with me? So I, what I would try to get viewers or listeners to think about is thinking of it as a staircase, a staircase uh, approach where you, a stair, a set of stairs has a a rise and run. 
You know what I mean? It, it lifts up and then it goes forward. And so you, you want to use the run. You want to extend also when you're doing intervals. And so that's, that's a tool in your toolbox is, you know, plan a four week cycle, start with three times, eight minutes on feel. And then based on what you achieved in week one, so let's say it was 350 or 300 Watts or whatever. Now say, all right, I'm going to do one more of those. So now the workout's four times eight. And then if that goes, and probably your heart rate drifted up even farther. You were even farther on the edge of what felt like you could do, but you did it. So now we're going to say week three, I'm going for, for five of these bad boys, five times eight. So now I've extended, extended, extended. And then if I achieve that, now I'm up at 40 minutes of total work. Now I'm going to add 10 watts and go back down to three repeats for my next cycle. You know, or I'm going to try to peak at the end of that four weeks with a, a three times eight at a higher wattage than I've achieved before. You know, I'd, I'd point out to that way back in 2019, that's not that long ago, but we did an entire episode uh, entitled when to push and when to pull the plug. It was with Kate Courtney and it really got into this assessment that we've been talking about how to, um, use feeling and, and tools and all of the data, um, internal, external, to understand just what we're talking about. Do you push through the set of intervals? Do you pull the plug? Do you continue them but maybe shorten them or maybe drop the intensity a little bit? So let's hear from Kate now. The discussion of all these different ones is, is something important to note that there's just a lot of indicators. And so for me, it's about using all these data points to really paint a picture of my recovery and not just on one given day, but kind of in the aggregate. So if I have many days consistently where I'm under recovered, that's a different scenario than if I just have one day where I maybe am tired from the day before. So really kind of keeping a good handle on these data points and, and understanding over time how they're changing helps me get any given day. But I would say in terms of like going out for intervals, I usually can tell on my warmup how I'm feeling. Um, and often for me, it will be really high heart rate if I'm not as recovered. So if I go out and do my warm up and my heart rate just skyrockets, uh, it, it's a pretty good indication that it might not be a great day. And then it becomes a consideration of the quality of the training and the value. It's pretty rare that I turn around and go home, but it has happened this year. We had a, a really high intensity workout. And I remember like looking at the numbers and be like, man, this, I don't think I can do this, but uh, you know, Jim has basically never been wrong. So I'll give it a whirl. And, and I texted him and I was like, man, these numbers look really high. And, and he texted me back and said, uh, you know, like visualize today's like a world cup. It's the day. And I'm like, okay. So I got to do this workout and by interval two I just I'm like just sobbing at the end of the interval and and that for me it's a very funny thing but anyone who's like really pushed that hard knows that feeling of like you're not upset and you're not like it's just your body's response you just like start crying uh and for me whenever I start crying in the interval I'm like okay this is not good this is like that's not normal normally I will feel better or at least just be really tired and, and feel accomplished at the end. So called Jim. Uh, he tells me to go home because if I can't hit the numbers, it's not worth doing for a really high intensity ride. So I go home. I'm really bummed about it. And then I get a call later. And what had happened is I hit some numbers in 
a race and my FTP on Training Peaks auto-adjusted. Uh, and Jim was like, oh, I'm going to go. He's like, I'm going to go in and recheck that. And he was getting on a flight and he for, he like somehow didn't go in and recheck it. And so the numbers were like, you know, 15% higher than they maybe should have been. <laughs> so I, I basically killed myself on that workout. But it was very humbling and like was a really hard day. And what ended up happening is, you know, that workout was my nemesis. And the next time I did it, I actually ended up, you know, two weeks later, I, I was really recovered and ready to go. And I actually hit the numbers from the first workout. And that was right before I went to the World Cup. So I would say, you know, having the understanding of like when something is wrong and knowing, okay, you know, if you're crying at the end of an interval, I don't know what it is for you. That's like my tell, but if something is not going well. And having the courage and the the confidence to trust that, go home and be ready to completely smoke that interval the, maybe the next day, maybe the next week. Sometimes those days can be the most important in your entire season. While that day I was able to get a hold of Jim, he is also notorious for ignoring calls when his athletes are on really hard rides. Like he will actively like decline calls. And I've had a lot of moments. <laughs> it's a tactic. But I've had a lot of moments where you have to stop and think, is this hard? This is hard. It's supposed to be hard, but is this hard in the right way? And I think getting to the point where you can make those calls for yourself, because ultimately when I call Jim, I'm giving him information to lead him kind of to a conclusion. So if I call him and say, something's really wrong, I shouldn't be doing this workout. How can we adjust? That's very different than calling him just because it's challenging. And so I think as I've gotten kind of more mature as an athlete, those calls have gone down and I've understood that it's really my call. And if I can push through that, I should. And no one can do that for me and, and no one can really make that call for me. We talked a bit about how important uh, feeling and RPE are in races. Let's talk more specifically about how to use them in certain, uh, certain race types. Trevor, I know time trialing, this is this is huge. Yeah, and we, we actually even just heard Chris and Armstrong talking a little bit about that, of knowing that that feel. What I will say is one of the ways you can really tell a highly experienced cyclist is in racing, they know exactly how hard to go in any given scenario. So I'll give you an example where you're in that race and you hit that climb. When I am in a, a little local event with less experienced riders, there is one strategy. You hit that climb, you go all out. <laughs> sure. And you will constantly see athletes, they'll put out 500 watts at the base of a 20-minute climb, and by five minutes up that climb, they are done. Mm -hmm. Where what you will see is the really experienced athletes, they're aware of how long that climb is, and when they hit it, they know exactly how hard to hit it, what pace to go so that they can get over that climb effectively. And what they know is actually the most important part is how hard you come over the top of the climb. Mm -hmm. So they'll always save enough to come over the top hard. And you'll also see them pace that climb differently if that climb is in the middle of the race versus a finish line at the top sure, of that race. Absolutely, And it's amazing to see the ability of these cyclists to know exactly that pace and their willingness in a race. You'll see this in the tour all the time where you see a yellow jersey let one of his top rivals go away because that person will go really hard and they'll just go, 
not my pace. And I'm going to take this climb as hard as I can take it for the length of this climb and hope that I can bring that person back. But I'm not going to be caught up in going above my ability and blowing up. Mm -hmm. So that is one of the most important things to learn in racing is knowing your pace so that you don't blow up in the race. And again, it goes back to what we were talking about before. I think this is a feel thing because your numbers in training and your numbers in a race are different. And if you use your numbers in training to say, here is my pace for this climb, I think you are going to underpace it. Yep. And with that, this is from episode 169. We, we have a, a short clip with Swain Tuft, who was one of the top time trialists in the world, talking about knowing the feel of these different paces. All right, let's hear Swain now. Yeah, unfortunately, our lives have all been come bombarded with this uh, this power output, and uh, there's not a lot of guys that can go by field anymore. No. Uh, it's especially apparent when you're doing a team time trial. You know, guys will live and die by the by the SRM or whatever your chosen device is. And yep. I think it's uh, I think it can be very detrimental to to base everything we do off of this uh, this set number that we did in some physiology lab and and I really believe that okay these things are important and they are definitely a huge help in what we do but at the same time they uh, they really disconnect you from the reality of where you you might be at that given moment and. Uh, you know, it's more important to understand your body and understand where you're at at that moment than to try and live up to some uh, impossible expectation on yourself. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's it's very fresh in my mind because of uh, team time trialing and all the work we've done in the last little while. And I see young guys just trying to, to, to push this incredible number that they all believe is necessary to win the, the world championships. But, uh, it's not sustainable. Right. And so that's where I think a lot of times these things, when you don't understand your body and you, you don't understand the, what's, what's working behind the scenes there, you really run into trouble. And, uh, yeah, I've seen it many times. So for myself, it's, it's more about understanding where you are at, at that moment and what you are actually capable of. So in the case of like, uh, you know, we have to ride the front full to bring, bring a break back. Okay, I'll I'll have a look at the power here and there, but really I'm going by a feeling that I know I can sustain for. If it's necessary, I might have to chase for 20k. If I have to ride for 50k, it's a totally different feeling, and uh, that's just lucky from years of experience. But uh, I think more than anything, you need to to find your own n equals one type of uh, magical number instead of uh, trying to to uh, push some uh, imaginary perfect number. <laughs> I see so many guys trying to, uh, you know, uh, in a time trial or, or whatever, trying to hold this um, this uh, power output, and it's never really the case, you know? It's, it's never really how it's done. And a, and a time trial is all about picking your battles and, and understanding the course and, and yourself. So, yeah. Numbers are great, but uh, they they don't uh, <laughs> win all the bike races. So we just heard from Swain. Uh, 
incredible time trialist. Whether you're in a CT or in a breakaway, sometimes you just have to, you know, put your head down and go for it. How how does someone use RPE or feeling to inform that type of an effort? You need to be acutely aware, and Swain mentioned this a little bit, of how much time or distance is left in the race. Sure. That's, and, a, that's a very important uh, right. <laughs> thing to, to, to be aware of, yes. And this is where knowing what you can sustain for that sort of length is, is really, really critical. So you have to have those awareness and you have to learn this. So these are good things to teach yourself. And then I, I go back to what I said before, to do this right, you have to be basically saying, I'm going to intensity. I'm not so sure I'm going to make it. It's not an absolute no. You're on the edge. But it's not absolutely that. Yes. And you're on the edge. And that's exactly, in my opinion, the way to do a time trial. In a breakaway, I, I think the thing that gets people the most worried is what happens if the field catches me. Mm-hmm. And this isn't so much a field thing. This is more a mindset thing. But when I get in a breakaway, I have five, 10 minutes of let's see if there's, if this breakaway has got a shot. So I'm going to be assessing the riders with me and how strong they are. Or if I'm by myself, assessing myself, seeing what sort of gap we can put into the field. But then there is a certain point where you have to say, this is my move for the day. And I'm going to stop thinking about getting caught because if I get caught, my race is done. Yeah. And then think about it like that time trial and put that head down. Mm Mm-hmm. And and be doing those assessments of what does it take to get to the end and, and being right on that edge, being right on that limit. And that's the feel. Yep. And I can tell you that's can make you a great breakaway rider just knowing that. Because I can't tell you how many breakaways I have been in where I, there are guys there that don't know the feel. And we, when I was living up in British Columbia, we jokingly referred to them as booster rockets. Because if you're in an hour breakaway, you know they're going to be giving them their all for 30 minutes and then blow up. <laughs> right. So you when, you, when you get one of those booster rockets, you let them do their thing. Use them. Sit on their wheel and, and rest because they're going to be putting out 400 watts for 30 minutes and then explode. And great. They just helped you out. They didn't know it. Mm-hmm. And... A lot of guys getting breakaways don't know that field, don't know that right intensity and do that. If you can be that person in the breakaway who's always self-assessing how you feel and whether you can get to the end of that intensity, you actually have an edge over a lot of the other riders. Mm, interesting. Um, one other thing that I know we want to work in here, it, it's a little abstract, I think. It, um, it comes from uh, Kristen Armstrong. It's about the sense of knowing of the feeling of speed. Right. Uh, tell, tell us more about that aspect of, of using RPE here. Yeah. So th- this is probably actually where we're getting a little outside of RPE because RPE is really a, a yeah. measure of intensity. Sure, sure. But this is really getting at there are other fields that you need to learn. And one of them is speed. If all you're ever doing is riding at 20 miles an hour, even if you're putting out decent wattage, and then you get into a time trial where you need to be going 30 miles an hour, you're not going to know the feel of that. And believe it or not, there is a different feel. So if you are a racer, like I always love when people tell me, oh, speed's an outdated 
metric, just rely on power. I always turn around and go, there's never been a race where the fast, where the, the race wasn't won by the fastest person. Mm-hmm. You need to learn speed. And, and there is a feel when you are going 30, 35 miles an hour, it feels different than going 20 miles an hour, even if you're putting out the same power. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. And, and let's hear from Kristen. That's episode 154. Yeah, you know, time trolling is all about speed. And if you don't know what speed feels like, it's not going to the front and chasing the next group down. That's like setting pace on the front and bridging. That's not time trialing. And if an athlete's having a hard time trying to figure out what is speed, like what's true time trial speed, what's it feel like? Because how do you ever get that experience of what it feels like? And, you know, people will say, oh, in the road race, I had to get in the front. I had a time trial, like I had a time trial. So I dig so deep to like bridge that gap. I'm like, you weren't time trialing. So you put them behind a motor and you show them what time trialing is. You bring them up 50K an hour, right? You show them over 50K an hour, what that feels like. Because that's speed. And until you understand and feel speed, you don't even understand what getting up to speed is. Another use for RPE, I think that's that's uh, quite beneficial is the, f- so say you have a power meter on your bike, but you do plenty of other things off the bike. Um, you run, maybe you hike, uh all these other things that you're doing in, in daily life have an impact. They have a load on the body uh, and RPE can be used to give a greater uh, picture of what's going on in terms of the training load, but it also can translate, I guess, a little bit better between, or not better, but can translate between sports where you, in one, you have a power meter and in another, you don't. So there's a, a common denominator, I guess you could say. Yeah, to take that a step further, even if you use heart rate, which you can use in all these different sports, it doesn't necessarily translate. Yeah. So heart rate running tends to be significantly higher than heart rate cycling. Plus, if you are spend most of your time training at one sport, let's say you're a runner who periodically gets on the bike, you're not as efficient on the bike. So again, heart rate's going to be different. So mm-hmm. You can't use any of these metrics to translate from one sport to the other. The only thing that's going to tell you is RPE. So if you are a cyclist and been cycling for years and you've gotten that good sense of feel, you can go out for a run and go, okay, I I know what threshold feels like on the bike. I know what long, slow distance feels like on the bike. And seek that same sort of feel, seek that same level of RPE. And then at that point, look at, oh, you know, what's different about my heart rate here? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Very good. Uh, to close out this uh, really great discussion today on RPE and on feelings, I think it's worth closing with a bit of a reminder, if you will, that for those who do rely quite a bit on numbers, numbers don't necessarily lead to successful interval sessions. They don't guarantee success. There's uh, something more to an interval session than just hitting a number. Yep. Yeah, I think this is, so this is Julie Young and, and Steve Neal from episode 91. And they both, so these are both very experienced coaches bringing up the fact that 
exactly what you said. Hitting numbers doesn't mean that you did a successful workout. But I love closing out with this one because Julie brings up uh, another, I'm not sure you could even call it a metric, but another feel in intervals, which is a really important one, which is getting that feel of success. Mm. All right. Let's hear from Julie and Steve. So I, I think when people just focus on the numbers and they think that in training, just by hitting numbers, they're guaranteed a successful outcome in a race. I think that really marginalizes what it takes to put together a successful performance. Um, and I think, you know, for me, it's, it is really training provides all those aspects of conditioning that lead to a successful performance. So it has to be more than just chasing numbers on the device. Yeah. So Julie and I, during our conversations, we came up with a list of some of the areas that both of us as coaches feel are absolutely critical to training, critical to performance that just don't show up in the numbers. So I'm just going to do the quick list and then we can take a deeper dive into each of these. But the first one is, I really like Julie's terminology for this, building mental and physical confidence. Uh, the next one that's a big one for me is knowing and focusing on the big picture. Um, and that includes having both balance and perspective and also having purpose and goals. So Julie, let's, let's throw it back to you and tell us a little bit about what you mean by mental and physical confidence. So for me, and again, I, I go back to podcasts you guys have done and you talk about executing the, the workouts and, you know, I think you, you guys did a great job explaining that, you know, sound training is not this ever changing like circus of workouts where you're simply just trying to entertain the athlete, but it's a, a core group of workouts that the athlete does better and better and better. And to me, execution is not about chasing a number on my power meter. It's about using that as a reference and definitely getting into that zone, but mentally like using that, that training session to put yourself in an upcoming race, like an important piece of an upcoming race, like visualizing yourself while you're doing this, this intense workout and mentally visualizing yourself in that, that part of that race. And I think thinking about ways that, you know, you, you mentally, you take your mind beyond the discomfort of the physical sensations and whether it's focusing on a fluid pedal stroke, your breathing, your posture, whatever it is, you know, but essentially these are things that you're going to lean on in the race. I know for myself, like being in races, I'll fall back on, you know, a training session and just say to myself, Hey, this is no big deal. This is just a hill interval. So for me, like the execution is really about, again, mentally using that interval to put yourself in an upcoming race versus just, again, chasing that power number or mentally taking off the time. And I think we really, we lose out on a lot of the benefits of training when we, when we approach it that way. And I feel like when, again, when you can attach this, this mental like visualization, you're going to glean so much more effectiveness out of your, your training sessions. Well, we both know what we do at the end of an episode, which is 
take homes, 60 second take homes. I'll, I'll start if, if you don't mind. Uh, I like this cause you always finish. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go right back to the title of the episode where we pose the question, is RPE, is perce- uh, perception of effort the most important metric? And I'm going to say, yes, it is, um, for, for, especially for me, but I think for a lot of people out there, they may ignore this. They're satisfied with numbers and data um, that come to them from devices that they attach to their body or to their bike or to their running shoes or whatever they they might be doing. And I'm not discounting any of the value of those things, but for me and for everybody out there, you will um, gain a lot by knowing feeling, um, anchoring those feelings so you can translate them across sports, anchor in a feeling um, on a scale, whether it's the Borg scale or a scale of your own creation, uh, to know when to pull the plug, to know when to push through, to inform training uh, in the long term and the short term, right down to a, a particular session that you might be doing on a on a, any given day. So I think it's uh, an extremely valuable metric. Uh, you could, in fact, throw out all the other metrics if you so choose to do like Ned Overin basically did his entire career, and be an extremely successful athlete uh, using just perceived effort to inform your training. Trevor, what do you got? Good summary. And so I'll continue with that, which is, this is not an episode to, to bash on numbers. Yeah, Sometimes these episodes are, are seen as, as bashing sessions. That's not the case at all. I love my power. I love my heart rate. I love looking at those numbers. You're a nerd. I am very much so. (laughs) And you hang out with nerds all day (laughs) long. That's true. (laughs) But there was a theme in all these clips. As I was looking for clips for this episode, the same message kept coming up again and again and again and again, which is the top athletes need or have this ability to use feel. And so I'm going to continue with what Chris said, which is numbers are great. But feel needs to inform the numbers. And likewise, numbers can inform the feel. But if you use those numbers in isolation from the feel, I do not, and I, I, will, I will go as far to say this is almost a statement of fact in my opinion, you can't use those numbers effectively. Feel has to be part of the equation. So my one minute is... If you take the time to learn feel, to listen to everything you just heard from these experts in the show and go and practice the feel, learn the feel, learn what 20 minutes feels like, what five minute feels like, learn what your intervals should feel like, learn what 300 or 250 watts should feel like. If you take the time to do that, that is going to make you a better athlete in your training. And if you are a racer, it is going to make you a far better racer. So take that time, learn the feel. All the feels. Yes. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast and be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode. Become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com slash join and become a part of our education and coaching community. 
Okay, Chris, take a breath. Take a deep breath. For Jeff Winkler, Dirk Friel, Kristen Legan, Joe Friel, Jim Rutberg, Dr. Steven Seiler, Swain Tuff, Ned Overin, Jim Miller, Kristen Armstrong, Amos Rumble, Steve Neal, Julie Young, and Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening. Well done. Thank you.